Welcome to Brillante, the podcast with a French accent which gives a voice to women who move the lines. My name is Jeanne Dussartel, and between Zurich, where I live, and Paris, where I come from, my goal is to meet the sparkling, powerful, talented and inspiring women with atypical backgrounds and beautiful projects, to understand what drives them and makes them move forward. Discussions that I hope will encourage you to think outside the box, cross your boundaries and develop your own brilliant projects. Madeleine Mayer, the blogger behind Edwin and Court, columnist and author of the bestseller Endlich Wein Verstehen, Welcome to Wine in English, has a mission to make the wine world clear and accessible to all. Because we have all already been impressed by a wine connoisseur, the one who notices the knot of red currant in his glass or recognizes each grape variety. We have all already been discouraged by the huge choice of bottles in the supermarket. So with our unique tone, full of humor and irony, with our simple words and colorful drawings, Madeline takes us by the hand and teaches us about wine in her own way. Once you maybe make fun of something, you do have to know what you're talking about. It's like you need to know the rules before you can break them. And so I got my certification, I studied wine, I really packed, and I know things. So now you feel free. In this discussion, the young woman whose family has had a wine cellar company in Ahau for five generations tells of her experiences in the Californian and Bordeaux vineyards. Madeline explains why she decided to create wine courses exclusively for women. I feel like I'm starting to create a community, which is more women, actually, because they finally have a face where they can like, okay, who can I turn to? And who will not just sell me a sweet rosé wine? Like, is she actually going to take me seriously? She shares her advices on how to match wine and food or how to choose the right bottle to offer. We also discuss the future and evolution of the wine industry. In an honest way, Madeline tells about her successes, but also about her doubts and weaknesses. So don't waste a minute. Make yourself comfortable. Help yourself to a glass of wine. This is your chance. And enjoy this new episode of Brillante. Madeline, alias Edwin and Cort, thank you very much for welcoming me in your place in Ahau. I'm super happy to have you, the wine influencer of Switzerland, wow. <laughs> being part of the Brillant community. And to start with, I always like to ask, what did you think when you heard this name, Brillant, for the first time? Mm -hmm. And do you have an example of a sparkling woman that you would like to talk about, someone that has been inspiring you? Well, For me, Brillante was a person that shines. And um, for me, a person that really shines or that I look up to is uh, Tanya Grandit. Mm -hmm. She is the chef and owner. Actually, I'm not sure if she's, she's the owner, but um, of the restaurant Stukri in Basel. And she brought out two cookbooks already. And uh, for me, she's a very inspiring person because... She says, 
vegetables are always as a side dish, but she puts vegetables as the star. Mm-hmm. And she grows everything. She is very present like with the nature and she works a lot with flowers and I just think that's a mindful cooking practice. Were you directly inspired by her when you were doing your cake yesterday with flowers? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because she just makes everything very colorful and pop. So that was for for me brilliant is also that kind of rainbow firework. Creating something different, another atmosphere also, I guess. Mm-hmm. So we are now in Ahao. You just told me that it was the house of your grandmother, actually. Yep. Can you tell me a bit about Ahao and the, the canton Argao? What kind of region is it? I would say the, the neighborhood I live in is very bourgeois. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, uh, it's a very calm city. There's not a lot going on, which actually just saved my life because I'm a very hyperactive person. And coming back, I've been here a year, was really important. Um, Where were you living before? In Zurich. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So coming back here, it is calmer. Um, and with the nature and forests, it does actually help me. And I have even a vegetable garden, which is insane. <laughs> so this is a way for you to focus your mind and... Yes, because I'm already a very nervous person and I have a lot of energy. And if you pair that with a very energetic city I just go crazy <laughs> <laughs> and how is it for you to be raised here um very safe yeah and since my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents they've always been from Ottawa, so our family is very local and we have a family business here so it's also yeah the network you grow into the You even meet shareholders at a very young age and shareholders may be neighbors. So it's a very... Uh, it's kind of a family place. Yeah, or, it's, yeah. Very, it's very familiar. Yeah. yeah. So actually, yes, you are the fifth generation working for the wine cellar mm-hmm. of the family, Van Kelleray Arau. Yep. What does wine represent for your family? Oh, well... I think wine has always been a very big topic in our family. Uh-huh. Um, even a bigger topic than wine is logistics. So how to get things from out of the country into the country and then distribute it. We're more of a like logistics transport company, but wine makes it very refined, the whole thing. And um, it's always been in our lives, always a seller with especially French wines, actually. Yeah. What was your first memory with wine? My first memory with wine was a wine from Burgundy called Joseph Drouin. And it was a wine my dad poured for us. And I think I was like 14 or something, 50, way too young to drink wine. But he was like, hey, try this. And for me, it was just horror. It was just this sour, nasty thing. Um, Overwhelming. Uh But um, I, I... did grow into it i think it's like this for everyone you don't like it mm. at the first the first sip you don't like it but then then you get used to it and then you get addicted to it kind <laughs> of, i guess yeah and then you really really enjoy it yeah, yeah it's a bit like coffee or this kind of mm-hmm. really strong tastes i yeah. guess yeah but for you was not clear since the beginning that you would continue working with a family no actually i didn't really find my place because i was terrible in school and I hated 
I really didn't like economy. Uh-huh. I really sucked at it. Like, And so for me, it was like, I need a creative job. I need something else because I'm terrible at uh, business. Um, mm-hmm. But that was studies. And at that time, I didn't realize that studies and real life are two different things. So you were kind of, you were this creative person, mm-hmm. uh, really bad in business and economics, but you chose to do your bachelor in economics. So can you explain me the relation? <laughs> you know what? I think it's because my friends did it. Like either you studied law or you studied economy because mm-hmm. that was like you have the most potential in that area. But I mean, for me, I didn't see anything after that. You know, it was just like, okay, I have to do this because you have a great job afterwards. So and I really didn't know what else there is out there. And now, mm-hmm. I mean, now kids can study anything. There's, you know, classes for the most creative things. But back, yeah, then it was just business. That, that's funny because for me, I have the feeling that Switzerland is quite, there is the system that pushes like children to take care about what they want to do quite early. And already at 15 years old, some go and, and find their job. But for you, you never felt like you belong to anything or... No, I was very lost. Yeah, because I had a very creative side, but that didn't count in school. What, what do you mean by being creative? I was always doing collage. Mm-hmm. That was like the best therapy for me because I was so hyperactive still And I could sit down and do collage all the time. And I drew comics. I don't know how many comics I have produced in my life. Um, And then also, you know, just rearranged my room all the time. So it's visually different for me. And that was basically all I did all the time. But you could have become, you know, professional comics, working comics or something like this. Oh, for sure. But it never came to your mind. Mm -mm. No, I was like, yeah, you don't make any money with that. So quite so, rational, actually. It's quite so rational. rational. Yeah. And so Swiss. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Like stability first. Or, yes, yeah. yeah. It's like you can draw in your free time, so, yeah. but you need to make Don't money. Take too much risk, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so what was the click? Because at the end of your bachelor, you finally decided to go more into wine. Mm-hmm. I think you did your bachelor thesis about the topic. Yeah. Yeah. So it must have been something happening in between. Yes, actually, the bachelor thesis I wrote really for the first time, I was passionate about a product because I couldn't really be passionate about a service or something. And the product was wine. And so I met all these producers. And once you meet a producer, wine producer, you're just like, that's the most wonderful, you know, job. So emotional, it's you're in the nature and everything. So I went to California to work there and learn about wine. And there I really realized how good it felt to entertain people. But just for me to understand, mm-hmm. because when I when I hear you and when I hear you telling your story, I have the feeling that you had no real idea about wine before yeah. and that you were kind of not aware, but you've been, I mean, you come from this family when there are five generations working <laughs> in wine. Mm-hmm. Everyone is working there. I think your parents are working there, your grandparents and stuff. So you must have a bigger knowledge since the beginning than we have, than people that are not at all from the field. Yeah. You were sensibilized, mm-hmm. but you, you, you felt like you need to grow your own knowledge or what was it exactly? Yeah. I mean, what my dad was really good about is we, we are three kids, we're three daughters. 
And what he was good about is he didn't make our business our life. Like he wasn't pushing anything on us, you know, he wasn't pushing the wine industry on us. So it was very, um, he really didn't put a lot of pressure on us. So that's how it was in our lives, but it wasn't dominating really. Mm -hmm. And for me, obviously for all of us, it's very liberating. So you yeah. never felt the pressure. Mm -mm. And your sisters, they're not working actually in wine, are they? No, but uh, one, she will probably enter the business because we have different departments also. That's food logistics or car logistics. And she might enter the car logistics. And then my third sister, she is in LA in the fashion tech startup. So nothing to do? No. But then you were also in America, in California. Uh, so tell me about this experience. How was it? Oh. First of all, why did you choose to go to California to, to know more about wine? So my mom is from California. She worked actually at a wine company with my dad. They met there at the wine company in San Jose. And for me, I wanted to go back to the roots because I do feel American and mm -hmm. I wanted to live there maybe forever. I really said bye to everyone. I had like a big party and I'm like, I'm off, I'm gone. And uh, once I was there, it was a wild life. It was really out in the boonies. And for those who don't know what boonies means, it was very country. So, you know, I, during the day it was, I do tastings and tours and I had to educate people on wine and I had this cowboy hat on because it was super hot and we played pool, so billiard. Um, and I even shot bow and arrow in my free time. Uh -huh. It was, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then Americans are just more chill about wine. I mean here, oh my God, it's so stiff. It's really stiff. And Americans in general are more chill. <laughs> so maybe they're more chill with wine. And that was the fact. What do you mean by being chill? It's about the way they speak about wine, the, the way they drink it, the way they... What, what is it exactly? It is the way they talk about it. It's not as a cultural commodity as it is here. It's such a tradition. Mm -hmm. um, and in the US, it's not... It has not been a tradition for a long time. You know, maybe a couple hundred years, mm -hmm. if even. Mm -hmm. So they talk about it and they even consume it like a daily beverage. It's not as stuck up and elite. Yeah, there's more of a farm side to it. You were doing a um, certification to become a wine specialist there mm -hmm. in California. Did you also feel this in the way you were taught about wine? Oh, yeah. My boss or my mentor, Lindsay Jessup, she was one, one heck of a lady because she really pushed me. Because I was just enjoying life. And she's like, Madeline, I can see there's some potential here. And she really pushed me that I actually got the degree. Uh -huh. She was so cool with the tastings, you know, she's like, try this popcorn with the wine, try chili with the wine. What does it do with you? And I mean, my mouth was on fire. It was terrible, <laughs> but it really taught me what pairings do or we cook together. It was very hands-on. It was very practical. Mm -hmm. And then also, yeah, she had a very funny sense of humor. So she always brought that in. And I didn't, know that wine and humor it's not normal <laughs> at least in switzerland it was not yeah. like this that you no it's you not a funny topic <laughs> today in, in your company in the family company 
You don't find it funny? <laughs> <laughs> I make it funny now. <laughs> you make it funny. Yeah, no, it's really my mission to kind of lower inhibitions through humor. Also in your company. Oh, yeah. I really try to get people, you know, motivated and inspired and say, hey, it's not just, oh, there's more to wine, you know, there's enjoyment, there's... And when you were in California, you were also working in, um, I think, in a vineyard that was run by women. Mm -hmm. I guess this is also not the case in the in the environment that you know here in Switzerland. There must not be so many women, actually. Mm -hmm. So how was it for you to work in a place where talking about wine with women? Well, the funny thing was, once I went to California, I thought it was normal, like 50-50, you know, like, oh, all women work here. Cool. But I didn't realize that back in Switzerland, it wasn't the same case. So I thought it was very normal to be around women. And it was so much fun because the energy was just amazing. And people came to the winery just because they knew the, the energy level and the entertainment and the fun and the passion was very feminine. Some of them even thought we were cousins or sisters, and which was not the case, but it was very familiar. I must add, though, that in Switzerland, actually, what is happening right now, there's a big change in generations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of dads are giving their vineyards to their daughters. There are not a lot of women in the trade where I am. It's really not a lot. I mean, I still get emails, dear sir. Yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised. Yeah, it's all the time. Blind emails, just dear sir or dear sirs. Mm -hmm. And so the trade is still very dominantly men, but vineyard winemaking is actually 50-50. And even there's our best, I would say our best, best, best winemaker in Switzerland is Marie-Thérèse Chapas. I heard about her. Oh. I got someone recommending me to, really? to interview her. Yes. Oh, great. Cool. Yeah, she's our hero. Yeah. Why do you think women are more interested into making wine? Why more and more women? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't really asked a woman why she does what she does. But what I do understand is that for a very long time, us women were like inside and had to like look after kids. Mm -hmm. And how good does it feel to be outside? And I feel like that work is very rewarding to be outside. I mean, even a walk feels good. So I feel like now jobs, which you can actually do outside, really feel good, especially if you can, you know, work in, in a vineyard, which is beautiful, and then harvest and have your own wine. So it's something that you want to reward yourself with. I mean, even though it's very, very hard. I think work. it's tough. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really tough. It's yeah. really tough. Yeah. 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 But it's like, hey, I can be outside and work with my hands and get them dirty and So when you were in the U.S., you actually started working for your blog, mm -hmm. writing your blogs. You created Edwin and Cox there. Yep. So what does it mean, first of all, Edwin? Okay, so Edwin means educating wine. And I started it there because I was learning, I was studying. And for me, everything, I just take everything in visually. I was also taught that way because I went to study therapy and she figured out that I need to see everything in color or in glitter, brillant again, <laughs> and forms and mind maps. So that's how I learned. Mm -hmm. And so everything I learned, I put into drawings. And then I, I actually went to like Home Depot 
or like office land scanned all of my illustrations and put them online. That's how it started. Okay, so that's you were taking what you were always doing when you were young, drawing comics and putting it in wine and using it for your future work, kind of. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's It was the only thing I knew. And also, I was like, okay, I'm good at this. Uh -huh. So might as well maybe do something out of it. Obviously, I didn't have the plan where I'm now. It grew organically. But I knew, hey, I'm actually really good at these drawings. Maybe someone else will like them. So I shared them. At the time, you knew that you wanted to go into marketing? No. Because it kind of makes sense. You are more into communication, marketing. You're creating your blog. It could have been a plan also for the future mm -hmm. to kind of get a network, be known. Once I got to France after a year of uh, California... There, I was like, okay, you better do something out of this. Yeah, Use it for something, yeah. Yeah, use it for something. Um, so I set up a blog, and I even won a blog award in Bordeaux mm -hmm. um, for these illustrations and things. I was working for a wine merchant in Bordeaux, and I kind of used their wines to kind of show them, introduce them, take pictures of them, and went to chateaux. Yeah, so... So you were using your illustration and the aim was really to share your knowledge mm -hmm. because at the time you were doing your master's at the INSEC and there your aim was really with this blog to educate people. So to bring in kind of the light tone that you heard in the US and mm -hmm. to bring in into Europe maybe? Well, once I was in the US and I filled my backpack and I'm like, okay, now I'm ready for snobby Bordeaux. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then I went to Bordeaux. Yeah, but that, that's also the question. Why Bordeaux? Because All of the visitors in California were like, Bordeaux, 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 Bordeaux. Do you have a Bordeaux blend? Do you have Cabernet Sauvignon? Um, I only drink uh, Bordeaux blends, blah, blah, blah. So it was, Bordeaux was like the state of the art, the wine region. People were just obsessed with it. Yeah, but maybe this is something from the US, but here in Europe or at least in France, there is also a Bordeaux bashing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... And, You know, and now people roll their eyes and they're like, oh my God, Bordeaux is so overpriced, you know? Yeah. And Bordeaux is still up to this day. They think they make the best wine in the whole wide world. And it's, Yeah, but they've been really criticized. Oh my God, yes. And yeah. they, are, they are really criticized. They're very criticized. And now they're actually, for the first time, the primeur, so the new vintage that came out, the price has dropped for the first time. And it was about time. They were also criticized for, for being really traditional, oh. not accepting to move into organic wine, for instance. And uh, Chateau Dickem announced last year that he would go into organic wine, but it was really something. <laughs> it was like a revolution, like a French revolution, but in the Bordelais. So, but oh. for you, for you in the US, was still like the state of the art. Uh, you thought I yeah. have to go there to really learn about wine and to be to yeah. be on top of these subjects, yeah. right? I think Americans in general have that idea but once i was there i i was just like oh my god they take it so seriously this is ridiculous i mean obviously i respect great wines but you don't have to be elite about it you know it's still working in the fields that's what sometimes frustrates me is that it's still you still work with the soil and with the product and you're out in the nature So why is it so much, you know, more exclusive than everything else? It's the terroir, of course, but... And the chateau and, and the, the family chateau. thing and the... 
Yeah. Exactly. And the and the classification and everything. So I really started to just kind of see it ironically with the sense of humor, which actually up to now is paying off. It's not so easy to have this irony and sense of humor and to be accepted in the field, I guess. Oh, yeah. Especially here in Europe. Mm-hmm. Once you maybe make fun of something, you do have to know your shit. Mm-hmm. Excuse my French, but <laughs> you do have to know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. It's like you need to know the rules before you can break them. And so I got my certification. I studied wine. I really packed and I know things. So now you feel free. Uh, yeah. Have you been criticized by the wine community when you started publishing and using this irony on your blog? I'm not sure what people said behind my back because people are, you know, typical Swiss, very polite and diplomatic. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine that a few people were like, who the hell is this lady to talk about wine? First a lady, yeah. young. Yeah. Young. Using irony. It's like, who Drawings. does she think she is? Yeah. And then once I brought out the book a year ago, I mean, it was a bestseller. Uh-huh. It sold 25, 26,000 times. It's in its sixth copy. And so now I know just, you know, from looking at people and how they talk to you that they accept me more or they have like more respect for me just because I'm successful. Because you achieved something yeah. concrete. Maybe. But before it was like, oh God, there she is again. <laughs> And I do, I do feel that. And I feel it in invitations I get. I feel it in how people introduce me to other people. It's like, hey, you need to know her. Mm-hmm. And before it's like, yeah, she has a blog. <laughs> it's just like, she does something on the internet. Yeah, yeah I think, but I think it is something that happens to everyone that has a blog, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, having a blog now, I'm not sure it's exactly the, the best media anymore. Yeah. It's more about social medias, but exactly. I think for any influencer about any topic, just explaining what you're doing if the main part is on social medias is never really well considered. Yeah. So for short, like to have something concrete, mm-hmm. to write a book is certainly a way to get acknowledgement. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like, I'm sure I created more buzz with my Instagram, but a lot of people can't see that or they don't understand it and I think that's a lot of people are struggling with that because you actually build up a brand through social media and I think until people get accepted for that it will probably still take some years how would you describe the brand that you created actually I actually would say it's a very feminine wine brand Mm -hmm. now I I I talk about Edwin as a platform because I've done in the lockdown and after lockdown I've done so many live streams too, where a couple hundred people participated or, you know, just 60 people participated. Um, This Friday, I'm doing one just for women. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm starting to create a community, which is more women, actually, because they finally have a face where they can like, okay, who can I turn to? And who will not just sell me a sweet rosé wine like is she actually going to take me seriously and i think that's what i'm creating is like a more feminine wine brand you think women were struggling before 
to be also accepted as as people that were enjoying wine and drinking wine and buying wine and stuff oh definitely yeah even where the wine you know where the wine menu lands it's mostly in the hands of a man and i'm pretty sure women god women love to drink wine i just don't understand what I the wine <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's such a you know nice thing to share a glass of wine with your girlfriends yeah or even on your own just to have a red wine and the wine industry has not acknowledged that as a market even you know like hey you can actually make money if you take them seriously but you can't just the, oh my god you should google like women wine commercial mm -hmm. it's horrible you won't identify with any woman it's just so cheap everything I just um, think it's a, an insult to women how wine has been sold and has I been remember promoted. this uh, Rosé Pamplemousse, for instance, uh, that, that was sold at some point for the apéro. Oh, something. my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, do this. The ladies will love it. Just like, God, they, we love red, you know, strong, heavy red wines, too. What is the difference between men and women consumption, wine consumption? Because I know that you are doing this also these classes so for women, mm -hmm. so there must be a reason why you decided to do something only for women. Yeah. What pushed you in this direction? Was it because in your classes where when there was a mix, women were not heard enough or were not represented enough? To what extent is it different? A class only with women. The big difference is, and here is what we women have to. It's our homework actually is to speak up and kind of work on our courage. Because as soon as men are in the group, in the class, we feel intimidated. And I've done so many classes. I wish I would have had a psychology, someone from psychology field who could have analyzed this. Mm -hmm. Every time it was mixed, even if it's a beginner level, you just assume that the man knows more than you. This is an issue that we really have to work on. So even on beginners' classes, mm -hmm. where men and women are beginners, yeah. women feel worse than men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Women feel way worse. I see it. And then when it's just women, the questions just come out, you know, shooting at me. And it's just a firework of questions and comments. And it's really a different scenario. Mm -hmm. And I always say in the beginning of the class, everyone here has no idea about wine. Everyone. And then still women feel intimidated. So I kind of with my wine classes for women, I give them the tools to go out there and actually pick their own wine. Plus they learn to talk about wine, which already helps. It's like a first step. Where to feel more confident. Yeah. It's like, hey, now you can talk about it. We're open here. There's no wrong. And I think that's the first step to step over a hurdle. I heard also that you were explaining that uh, men and women were not consuming the wine the same way when you were giving, for instance, a recommendation that men and women were not behaving the same way. Could you explain this? How, how is it working? Yeah. Okay. This is one of the most fascinating things I've learned through these courses, and I'm pretty sure it's applicable to other industries, is that when I recommend wine, let's say a man comes into the store, he wants a certain brand, and I tell him, hey, I don't have this brand, but I do have a wine that is 10 francs less, 
And it's actually the neighbor of this brand. I swear to God, 90% won't take that wine because they want the brand. And their friends probably don't know that wine. So he needs the brand. And I'm pretty sure that happens probably in different fields also. Mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, they're neighbors. They have the Mm -hmm. same terroir. You know, they have the same knowledge. It doesn't matter. I can say whatever. If it's not that brand, it's not that brand. And it's not because I'm a woman, I'm, I'm recommending something. I've talked to other people about this and they, men, and they say, yeah, it's really harder to suggest wines to men than to women. Because <laughs> a woman will be like, heck yes, 10 francs less. That's an amazing deal. Give it. They're kind of more open-minded. Oh, yeah. And more risky, which is, you know, not a thing you would say about women, yeah. but they would take that risk and they trust me more. It's so fascinating. In these classes, what is the most interesting thing that you learned except from this, the difference between men and women? Oh, that's a good question. I think in general, I learned so much through these questions. My whole book is based on questions. What is the question that people ask you the most? Probably how long they can keep a wine after they open it. (laughs) Because if you don't finish a bottle, how long can you keep it? And then it goes, how long can you keep sparkling wine open? How long can you keep white wine? So let's answer answer this question. How long can we keep a red wine? So if you have a red wine, just put the cork back in or put something in it and then put it back into the fridge. And I'm sure it will still be good, you know, for even five days. What will happen is... Even with white wine, I sometimes keep white wine also four, five, six days. Um, What happens is the acidity gets out a little bit. So the wines tend to be a little flatter maybe, but they don't go bad. You know, you don't die if you drink a wine that's been in the fridge for two weeks. Yeah, it's not like a yogurt or whatever that has been too long in the fridge. Exactly, that's nasty then, yeah. Just because we didn't explain exactly also the aim of your book. Mm -hmm. So in your book, you took all the knowledge that you had been accumulating in the past years and you are explaining step by step how to enjoy wine. So from opening a bottle to using the right glass to storing the wine, keeping the wine, drinking the wine, associating the wine and stuff. Mm. Was it a demand that you received to kind of summarize everything together? Well, actually the publisher came to me and they were like, hey, do you want write a book with us. I just had the illustrations. I also wrote, and still I'm writing columns for Gumio and Watson. So they knew I do have some writing skills. They're not amazing writing skills. I never studied journalism or anything. I just write as I think. And you also always, your texts are going always with your drawings, which are amazing, mm-hmm. funny, and uh, entertaining. So I think this helps a lot in your yeah. book. Yeah, it does. And I am actually really glad that I summarized everything because the questions I've got on Instagram, I couldn't answer them all. You know, people have sent me pictures of bottles, pictures of labels, of price things. And I was like, I can't handle all of this. So many messages and on Facebook through LinkedIn emails. I was like, oh, my God. So thank goodness I wrote that book. Because I could just like refer them. Yeah. Just buy the book, please. <laughs> you're feeling relieved now. So there are some stuff that I really liked in, in, the, in your book. The way you, you help people choose the right wine for the right occasion. Mm-hmm. I know you've been saying this many times, but it's so nice how you explain 
if I go to an apéro where I'm going to eat cheese yeah. with my girlfriends, yeah. what kind of wine should I bring? So, oh, that first of all, that sounds amazing. <laughs> a cheese apple with friends. <laughs> I would definitely bring a Swiss white wine. So let's say like a Petit Arvin or a Haida or a Johannisberg. Ah, so you would bring white wine with the cheese? Yeah. That's funny. White wine with cheese is a very Swiss-German thing, yeah. I would think. Because um, I would have never done it. <laughs> yeah, the French, yeah, don't do that. It's yeah. so funny. And what I actually have found out through that is fondue or raclette, I now eat with red wine. Yeah. Because it is better. Better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It's like not all this acidity and fat going everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to take a red wine, I would recommend either a Pinot Noir, but that's not everyone likes a Pinot Noir because of the acidity. So if you would go with the Cornala, for instance, it's like the Cabernet Sauvignon of Switzerland. Okay. And if you would go to a party after this apéro, mm -hmm. what do you bring? Oh, bubbles, bubbles. probably. Yeah. Because bubbles just like kind of like pick you up again. So what is always interesting price value is a cava. So that's like a, a sparkling wine from Spain, which is, comes from the Barcelona area. Yeah. And its price value is amazing because it's made as a champagne. This is also something that I think is really Swiss. People are drinking a lot of bubbles during the parties. <laughs> I think it's also German. They are drinking sect. And, uh, yeah, very and German. here in Zurich, at least I discovered Prosecco. I mean, I knew it, but I was never <laughs> drinking it so much. Uh, in of France course, again, yeah. we we bring a bottle Cremor of red wine. Or, yeah. No, oh. we to a party we bring red wine. Yeah, it, yeah. Italians the same. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that was a question that I wanted to ask you. What is the biggest difference for you in the way people consume wine in the three countries where you've been living and studying wine? Uh -huh. The U.S., France, and Switzerland. Well, I must say, in Bordeaux, I don't think I've ever drank so much champagne than in Bordeaux. Either it was just my circle of friends, uh -huh. which was just crazy about champagne. But that's all we drank there. It was insane. Makes no real sense, but no, why not? Nothing. Yeah. Um, but I think because we had so much Bordeaux during our classes and then mm -hmm. also during our internships, it was just so much tannins all the time and heavy wines. So when you're out, you're like, okay, need something. I need a break. Yeah. I think it was more that. Mm-hmm. But do you think that, do you think like, for instance, students are drinking more wine in France than in Switzerland? Oh, yeah, for sure. I really miss that. People here, they drink more like a beer or something exactly. for the apéro. Yeah. And in France, it's so normal. Just yeah. wine all the time. I love that. Yeah. yeah. In parties, also, even at universities, parties and stuff, tables are full of bottles of wine and here they're full of beers. Yeah. I think the influence from Germany, from Bayern, probably swapped over in the swiss german part if you go to the french part of switzerland there it's already more wine of course because of more french influence and they are also producing more wine yep. aren't they mm -hmm. and in the u.s how was it there when it, you would go to a party what would people drink about everything it was just a mess <laughs> It's just a mess of it. Just beer, wine, cocktails. But this is freeing also again, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, it was just bring whatever and make it happen. You know, if it's... <laughs> I mean, the worst what we did was going to the beach and you would have a bag in box, but you would rip the plastic bag out of the cardboard box and then you would stick it into the ice chest. Oh, no, no. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, different worlds, definitely. Memorable uh, moments, I oh guess. Oh my gosh, just yeah. sitting at the beach, rosé out of the yeah. bag. Oh. Last question about this, because I also liked it. If you would go to impressive dinner with your boss. Ah, okay. There I would bring a Brunello. Brunello di Montalcino. Because you can't go really wrong. And it is 100% Sangiovese grape. Because mm -hmm. you will definitely be asked what the wine is or like a story. And if you buy Bordeaux or Burgundy or maybe even a Barbaresco, you might not know the answer. And if you just get a Brunello di Montalcino, it's just, hey, it's a wine from Tuscany, 100% Sangiovese, and it will probably blow your mind. Because it's not really known. It's not a known wine. It is a known wine, actually, but it does cost a little bit more. Uh-huh. So it is not a wine that's probably everywhere. What's actually the price, the average price that you would spend for a bottle? This might sound weird coming from a wine merchant, but I spend around 18, 20 francs mm -hmm. on a wine. Why is it yeah. weird? Because probably people think, oh, she only drinks expensive wines or you're so sophisticated that you'd only drink wines over 40, 50 francs, but... I find it very interesting to find price value wines. So, And how is it actually? Because there are, well, for me, I have the feeling that with 18, 20 francs, you already have a good bottle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It must also come from the fact that I'm from France and that I got quite shocked with the prices here in Switzerland. So for you, the average price, if you want a, bottle, a normal bottle for daily life, to open and to drink like this when you cook a good dinner, yeah. but just with your family, um, would be... 18 yeah around 18 yeah 18 but i mean the average price this might sound shocking but the average price of a bottle in switzerland is six francs yeah. and then in germany it's three euros which is crazy yeah mm. how do you explain this with the taxes but not only because they are well yeah but also the consumption is different like maybe in germany it's more of a beer country so they don't spend as much money on wine I mean, three euros as average, it's just insane. Yeah, but in France, when you want a good wine, under 10 euros, you find something good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think here, definitely, you can find something good between... You can find... Of between 10 and 15, yeah, exactly. definitely. Of course, it depends on what you say with good mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. your level, and you can, you can always go higher, but something that is enjoyable. Enjoyable, yeah. yeah. Easy drinking. Easy drinking. Yeah. Exactly. And there was something else that, that I liked. You also tell the people how to associate wine with food. For instance, in your book, you talk about what kind of wine you should drink with a pizza or what kind of wine you should drink with a vegetarian meal. Mm -hmm. Is it also a question that you get asked a lot? Oh, yeah. Especially women are obsessed with food and wine pairings. I don't know why, because basically you will drink your favorite wine with your favorite food. I mean, Just drink what you like with your food, but you do, you can enhance, of course, the meal with a great food and wine pairing. But I think as a host, you want to be like spot on. Yeah. And so you really want to get that right. But actually you can, you don't have to put so much pressure on just like serve a wine you like. There was a, a recommendation that I liked when you eat Asiatic food mm -hmm. or sushi. What is it? What did I write? A Riesling? Yeah. A Riesling, like a little sweeter. Exactly. Yeah. That is, oh, like fine herb. That's what you have to look for, that word on the label. Riesling fine herb. Oh, my God. Always eat residual sugar with spicy food. Because if you 
eat spicy food with red wine, you're going to kill your mouth. It's ridiculous. Exactly. That's why I, I liked it because this is always a dilemma. Mm -hmm. You never really know how to associate this. Yeah. Even with a curry, you know, so many people love like Thai food mm -hmm. and then they want red wine. It's just like, don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> You've been speaking a lot about Swiss wine. To what extent is it important in your opinion that people drink the wine from their country? I think it's very important to drink regionally, but I also think it's really important for our producers to not mass produce. It's kind of happening right now in Switzerland. It's just mass production. And we're not heading into the right direction. How comes? Because we have too much wine now. And we have more wine than people actually drink because the wine consumption is going down. And now really? yeah, it's decreasing because of like health Does, Yeah, exactly. It goes with the uh, alcohol consumption in general. It's not only wine, I guess. It's in general, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It is slightly going up with sparkling wine. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Poseco is a really strong player. But in general, the tendency is going down. There is something that I think doesn't help in the mass consumption thing is that I have the feeling that here people are really buying their wine in the supermarkets, mm -hmm. most of it. And there are not so many little shops wine shops that you can find in the streets and the consequence is that everyone buys the same Prosecco the same red wine same white wine and you really see it when you go to, to yeah, a dinner or to a party that? I find it crazy yeah that's so interesting because it's so true yeah everyone buys the same thing yeah because everyone buys it at the cup exactly. and they and if on top there is a nice promotion then you are sure That in the party you are going to have the same wine three, four, five times. Yeah. This is something. That is so interesting that you've noticed that. When do you buy your wine? Well, I buy my wine, obviously, at our little store. But what I really like also is I go to Globus because they have the sommeliers who work there. They're insane. They know more than I do. Their knowledge is incredible. And Globus has a really nice range of the best wines. And how do you do actually to stay on top? of your knowledge you know to yeah. this because this is exactly something like how do you ask the right question to the sommelier how do you do to discover new wines well our company we have every magazine possible and i get that magazine every second week or month and i just read everything or i watch everything it's just non-stop do you have a recommendation for someone that wants to to get to know a bit more other than you yes book? Actually, what I really love, and she does a great layout job, it's called Weinseller Journal. Okay. And it's from Chandra Kurt. And she is like the boss lady of wine journalism uh -huh. in Switzerland. And what she does is really, the graphics are cool. She spends like 25 pages, just images about a producer from the cover. And it's beautiful images She always talks to these personally. It's a lot of storytelling. She has comics in there. And she does talk about wines, actually, that you can also get in just normal retail. It's not just high-end wine. And you yourself, do you go traveling around Switzerland, discovering new wines, visiting some vineyards? I wish. I don't have a lot of time to do that. 
I wish I had more time, actually. Actually, yeah. that's a question. How do you organize yourself? Because we've been speaking now about Edwin and Cork a lot, mm-hmm. but this is not your... I mean, you are also having a full job, I think, mm-hmm. next to it. Yeah. As we quickly mentioned, you went back to your family business. Exactly. Where yeah. you're doing marketing there. Mm-hmm. You're the head of marketing. Yeah. How are you organizing yourself? Well, it was crazy. Once I got back from Bordeaux, shit hit the fan. <laughs> it was insane. It was four years of just working, 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 working. And I had to cut short. You know, my social life was limited. Mm-hmm. sleep was limited health was limited i kind of almost burned out before corona once covid came i must say i think it saved my life and what is happening now is that i'm actually per february i will be working 100% for edvin and not as a head of marketing anymore because the two jobs is just not it's not doable anymore so you're becoming independent Well, it's still going to be in the family business, but I'm going to run Edvin and kind of develop a B2C market. Okay. Yeah. So your your Edvin is kind of being integrated in the family business. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how is it to work with a family? The good thing, well, it's a good and a bad thing is that our CEO is not my dad directly. It's a friend of my father's who has been working since 30 years there. And his father was already the CEO. And so my dad is the president of the company. So I don't have to You don't report to your father. Exactly, under him. But since I'm on the board of directors now also, we have way more to talk about and we work very closely together and it's super interesting. But those are more strategic questions. So not like daily, day-to-day business things. And has it been helping you again to go abroad to to discover the wine on your own before coming back to your family business? Yeah, thank God I did that. I always tell anyone who wants to enter a family business, go away Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a amount, a good amount of time before coming back. Is it to create some kind of legitimacy or is it some... Also, you know, in the eyes Mm -hmm. of the other workers, I guess, Mm -hmm. you need to establish your name first. First of all, that. And second of all, you can actually bring something back that helps the company. It's not like you go to school and then you just enter the company. It's you you bring back know-how and competence. There is a topic I want to talk to you about is the natural and organic wine. Uh I heard that you are not a big fan of natural and (laughs) organic wines. And I wanted to know why. Are you more traditional than you seem to be? Actually, okay. So it was very hard for me to accept natural wines. A few years ago, I was like, this is the nastiest stuff I've ever drank in my life. It's faulty. It's flawed wine. There is no way you can enjoy this. But I actually figured out through gastronomy, especially in people working with natural wines, which ones are good and which ones are bad. So now I can really pick out my wines that I know, okay, these are clean, you know, these are good natural wines that were made from people who really know what they're doing. So I'm I'm a fan now, but a few years ago, Yeah, because I read some articles of you really like being kind of against this tendency. Really? And I was kind of surprised because I think it's extremely interesting. Uh-huh. And especially, for instance, if there is this Bordeaux bashing, it's also because there are these crazy numbers, you know, like grapes represent only 3% of the agricultural surface mm-hmm. of France. 
but 20% of the pesticides come from wine uh-huh. making. Oh my God, and it's terrible. Yeah, when you hear these kind of things, you uh, we know that Bordeaux wine is suddenly a really good wine, exceptional things and stuff, but when you hear the amount of additives... Herbicides, pesticides. Exactly. Yeah, that is a huge issue. Also in Switzerland, I mean, people spray it with helicopters. It's insane. So organic wines, I'm a big fan of because you can't really taste a difference. What is exactly the difference between organic and natural wine? So organic wines are certified. So the vineyard plus the winery uh, has to do a control every year and tests and really prove that they didn't use any um, artificial things. And natural wine is basically just a philosophy of being sustainable, respecting the wine, not taking anything away, not putting anything into the wine. Natural wine is not certified. If they have, you know, a bio uh, organic label on it or a biodynamic label on it, then it's certified. But natural wine per se, the word is a philosophy. Do you think there should be, there should be a label for this? Actually, they're, they're introducing one in France. Yeah. I have two opinions. I think yes and no. (laughs) Yes and no. Yeah. I really wonder where it's going to take the industry. I'm really curious Uh because for the first time, if it's certified, then you know, okay, it's probably good. Also, they quality controlled, whatever. But then the sad part is that they can't be as creative as before. Yes, exactly. And it kind of kills the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Which is super interesting. Yeah. And so... A lot of people are clearly, yes, clearly no. Like there's two yeah, sides. What what natural wine would you recommend? Okay, so one natural wine I would recommend is called Occhi Pinti from Sicily. And is it a red wine? A yes, white wine? it's a red wine. Yeah. yeah. And then I would recommend the white wine from Gutogau from Austria. And then also it is really good is Matassa, southern France. Yeah. And you discover it by drinking. Yep, definitely. And also from recommendations, like people in gastronomy who actually list natural wines in restaurants. So I feel like if you list that wine in the restaurant, it has to be pretty good. There is a, an application that I like called Raisin. Oh, I don't know I if know you... Ah, uh, you don't know. I wanted to ask you about these two apps that I use a lot, Raisin and Vivino. Mm-hmm. So Vivino ah. is to... They are kind of rating the wine. You just take a picture of the etiquette and they they give you kind of a rating and how people are enjoying it or not the price comments and stuff might be quite helpful in supermarkets sometimes yeah yeah that's true and this raisin it's kind of listing all the places where you can buy or just order natural wine oh that's pretty amazing it's i did not know that yeah i will download it and they have it for zurich too yeah, well, there are very few places compared to France. Yeah. I mean, the app is from Paris, of course. Yeah. It doesn't help, but there is that. like 400 places in Paris and, and five here in, in Zurich, but it's still developing and uh, it really helps if you're interested in the that topic. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So we've gone a bit through all your professional life mm. and we understood that you were quite successful. If you have a tip, one professional tip that you would give, what would it be? One professional tip. Yeah take a break. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what I didn't do for the first three years. I didn't take a break. And it's just give your brain some air. Because what happened now is when, when I look back, everything's a blur. 
it's like four years went by and I didn't know, I can't remember like a lot. It happened so fast. And I think if you would take a break and you can actually reflect on something, then you can also grow stronger yeah. and not as chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. Take a step back. Yeah. Take a step back. Really. Even if you have to force yourself to take a break, but it's not, it, I was always like, I have to be efficient. I have to be very efficient with my time and it's not efficient to work all the time. Yeah. It's more efficient if you actually take breaks, but I had to learn that. Uh, maybe everything, everyone has to learn that. I don't know. I think so. Well, yeah. everyone that is running their own project, I think this is really a learning that mm -hmm. is difficult to, to yeah. get. I would just love to punch that into people's minds and just like, oh my God, take care of yourself. To what extent is your, has your Instagram account been helping you? Oh, it's everything. It's actually everything. And how do you take care of it? Do you have some rules to yourself? Like, do you have to post all the time? Do you no. have to? You don't. No. And maybe that's what, what I do have is I don't use filters. And I think that really helps my authenticity. When I do stories, even if I look crappy, I don't care. Um, and I think that helps your authenticity. And slapping on a lot of filters or manipulating pictures, you just lose some realness. That's my only rule, actually, is not to pimp anything. Yeah. So authenticity, that's a good one. Mm. And uh, I guess the network is also something really important. Yeah. I always like to know about if you have a kind of network uh, that is more female driven. Mm -hmm. Have you been helped by the female community? Do you believe in the concept of sorority? Oh, heck yes. I've had a lot of women reaching out, but actually women in our age, not older. Well, because maybe there's not a lot of women around. Chandra Khod from the Vine Sailor Channel, she kind of, she helped me. But there's a lot of people from different fields who have helped me. Yeah. IT, PR, and really supported me. Even uh, Gulsha Adili, she really pushed me with especially like TV and radio. She's this journalist from Zurich, right? Mm -hmm, exactly, yeah. Do you describe yourself as a feminist? Yes, for sure. And how do you do to be a feminist? I try to speak my mind whenever possible. It's it's hard and it's a daily thing. But as I said, to speak up is really our homework. And we can't blame that on anyone else. Not that we blame anything on anyone. But to speak up and speak your mind, to be present is um, something I really work on every day. Super nice. Well, now we are going to the really, really last part. I have some final questions just to finish the interview. How often do you have a hat? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably every second day I wear a hat. Yeah. And I'm, why that? Oh, I just love hats. Okay. This they might, fit you really well, though. I think that's, this will sound really <laughs> dumb, but I think they look good on me. <laughs> So I like myself wearing hats and I feel comfortable. That's yeah. good. <laughs> um, do you have a new exciting project that you would like to talk about? Yes, but I can't talk about it. You'll see it mid-November. So we stay tuned. Yeah. What are you scared of? Oh my God. Feeling like this is a big issue, like not being competent. When someone says something and I don't feel like I'm competent. Again, this is a really feminine thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's uh, 
where you're like whatever it's kind of complex yeah it's a complex and i think it's from the school from my school years which i was horrible in and people kept telling me that i'm horrible in school and so it's been a journey to accept hey that was a time leave it behind you're not stupid anymore because i thought i was stupid for a very long time because i had to repeat every school whatever private classes and to just leave that behind and it's it's insane i've had so much success you know and it's still i don't feel as confident it's insane but it's i know it and i work on it yeah, yeah. but there are many women who have the same feeling yeah if you were a man for 24 hours what would you do <laughs> oh my god i don't know what men what do men do <laughs> um maybe i think i would people watch And then discover what my thoughts are. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. What are you proud of? Um, my brand, Edwin. And who would you like to listen in this podcast? Well, as I mentioned before, I would love... I don't think I've ever heard a podcast of Tanya Kranditz. And I would love to hear her on, on a podcast, definitely. Very nice. Yeah. Thank you very much, Madeline. Well, thank you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> It was a pleasure to have you. Same here. I wish you a nice afternoon. That's it. Our episode is over. I hope you've enjoyed it. If this is the case, please share this podcast around you with your friends, family or colleagues. You can even rate it with five stars. This is really precious. And don't forget, as Madeline says, to try to speak your mind whenever possible. À bientôt sur Brillante. <laughs> <laughs>